Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. landscape architect, we had a dancer, we had a poet, we had um, artists who loved to paint. Uh, what else? We had... A bioscientist. Yeah, and yes, well, she's a biomedical scientist who loved to sing, um, but she was there, I think, particularly because she loved to sing. Musicians of various kinds and two young guys who were IT experts. And we said to them, what is it about IT that you love that feels really creative? And, you know, all, and I said to them, what would you be doing if there weren't any computers? And one of them said, it's the problem solving. I love solving the problems. That's wonderful. And the other, or Marilyn says I'm supposed to say solution finding. <laughs> Is that what teachers say now? <laughs> um, and the other one said, no, it's games. I love writing the games and then investigating what you can do with it and all of the detail. So different ways that we can all find a, to be creative. So we've written lots and lots of things down that we could say and mostly discarded them because there just wasn't time. But this is what survived the cull. <laughs> so would you pray with me first? Lord God, please may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts do you honour and bring you glory, because that is our deepest desire. Amen. So, what do you see when you look in the mirror? What do you, when, what do you think when you look in the mirror? If you're like me, you try not to look very often at all. And if you do look, you only see your flaws. But I wonder if you do think I'm seeing an artwork. I wonder if you think there's a masterpiece. I bet we don't, it's not necessarily the first thing we think. But you know, the reason that we wanted to read the Ephesians passage, and it's such a beautiful and rich passage, and it deserves preaching on many, many, many times, but we're just concentrating on the last little bit that says that we are God's, and the word is poema, we are God's poem, work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works that have been prepared for us to do. What an incredible thing. In Psalm 139, verse 14, we're, we're told that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And in Genesis 1:28, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What a wonderful verse. But who is this God in whose image we're made? He is the great creator the great maker, the one who, though entirely sufficient, not out of need or loneliness, but out of love and creativity, breathed, some say sang, the whole creation into being at the beginning. C.S. Lewis imagined what that might have looked like because it is beyond our imagining. But in the book, The Magician's Nephew, he imagined Aslan singing the creation into being. And this is what he said, a voice had begun to sing. It was very far away and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. 
There were no words. It was hardly a tune, but it was beyond comparison the most beautiful sound he had ever heard. And a beautiful part of being made in the, the image of this extraordinary creator is being given the gift of creativity ourselves. Of course, God created something out of nothing. And everything we create comes out of something that God created. So Tolkien put it that we are sub-creators. He wrote that we make by the law in which we're made. And just to stay with the Inklings, now I've mentioned Lewis and um, Tolkien for, and the Inklings and their friends for one more minute. Dorothy Says, who was their great friend, wrote in The Mind of the Maker, the characteristic common to God and man is apparently the desire and ability to make things. There are artists and creators who saw the heights of creation, like those who made NASA's Nuclear Spectroscopic Telescope Array, known as New Star Telescope, and those who used it to program the Chandra X-ray Observatory to produce this image of a pulsar wind nebula, a cloud of material ejected from a star that exploded and now often known as the Hand of God because people imagine that they see that and it's easy to see. And there are those who dive into the minutiae of creation, like our friend Seth Cole, who's a composer of great orchestral musical pieces, but also has an Instagram account called Tiny Terror Photography, featuring, featuring high-resolution macro images of bugs and beetles and way too many eight-legged you-know-whats that I did have to find beyond them something I could bear to look at. Um, and this one he's described as a black beetle with red war paint. And creativity happens right across our lives. I could not resist showing you this. At the first time that our grandson Hamish, at not quite three, drew something and then said, oh, it's a car. And then he drew it again and again and again. What fun. His grandfather nearly died of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> and when Australian artist John Olson died a couple of weeks ago at 95, he was still painting. Now, some of you are hearing this and thinking, yes, this is me. This is me. I think of myself as a creative person. And others are going, Jill, seriously, I have not got a, a creative bone in my body. And I want to say, yes, you do. Yes, you do. And I bet in your life you've made something that wasn't there and now it is. And you did that. Maybe it was an excellent cup of coffee. Maybe it was a fabulous barbecue or a really good cake. We were discussing this morning, we were at Wentworth Falls Prezi Church this morning and I was saying that my sponge cakes look like and really are almost like coasters. They're really not wonderful. So I can't claim to any great wonder about that. But I can knit and I can sew. <laughs> but look, you do... And some people find incredible creativity and wonderful goodness in solving a, a complex mathematical problem. And that can be done in lots of different ways. Such joy and satisfaction, it wasn't there and now it is. Even if it didn't turn out like you hoped, there's still joy in the making. God called the creation good and he said very good. And I think God found joy in the making. I love to make quilts. This is one here. 
and I play in the colours. I think think of it as playing in the colours. Ian says you take a perfectly good big piece of material and you cut it into little pieces of material and then you sew them together and you've got a perfectly good big piece of material again. Ellie has made these two beautiful... Ellie, where are you, Ellie? Has made these... Oh, Mac! Oh! The, the beautiful Shaw family also make beautiful quilts. You do make quilts, Ellie. Um, I've seen it. Okay, Mac has made this beautiful quilt as well. And I know that there are more and more wonderful things here. So, let, can I have that one just for a minute? Steve, you're... Oh, so beautiful. We're all in awe, aren't we? How wonderful and what a beautiful, beautiful thing. We've got beautiful, beautiful pottery. Who is this? Who is this? This is... This one, look at this. This is the beautiful Anne. We have Jera's EP. Somebody, and now who's done the mosaic? Beautiful mosaic, it's wonderful. And Kirk's PhD. It wasn't a thing, and now it is. Look at that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We have um, Bill. Where are you? Where are you? Bill, this is you, isn't it? Yes? Look at that outrigger. In the... In the um, Tongan Bible, when they wanted to say Adam and Eve were sort of helpmates to each other, they used the language of outrigger and canoe because one of them is useless without the other. Beautiful. Um, and I'm going to tell you about this in a bit. Look, there's a there's beautiful... Jennifer's made pottery. This is a painting by Ian. Who is this one? This beautiful drawing? Vicky. Vicky. I forgot. Vicky, thank you. Um, this is a... Toff cut ukulele made by Chris. Look at this, Ian's painting. This by Rob, this glorious burl. You can come and have a look. Um, yes, look at this. We, look, we've, got, we've got all sorts of just absolutely wonderful things. Embroidery. It just, I really, really come and look. Heather's written books. I'm going to tell you about Mike a bit later, but there's more of Mike's beautiful work as well. I'm going to talk about Tony a bit later as well. And whose is this one? The beautiful... This one. Oh, my goodness. See, isn't this a glorious thing? But see, I bet you all, if you thought about it a bit longer, there'd be something that you could either bring a picture of or bring or play for us or, you know, that is... And all that beautiful music that we had, so lovely. There is beauty here. So now it's up to you. Nick. There's beauty and there's a, a largeness in all that God's made. Um, and it's something that a lot of our non-Christian friends don't see. We, we don't share it enough, the beauty and the largeness. In Colossians 1, it's a great um, hymn about Christ. Uh, we learn of the deep creativity of Jesus it says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, in him were all things created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus Christ has his hands in, in, in the clay at, at every level of what's been made. So stuff matters, um, eucalypt trees matter, our bodies matter, um, even the viruses matter. Jesus is deeply connected uh, to all that's made. 
And in Mark's Gospel, when Jesus bursts onto the scene announcing the kingdom of God has penetrated this stuff that we live in, it was um, deeply profound. And when Jesus said, I want you not to hide your light under a bushel in, in living and sharing the kingdom of God, he said, shout it from the rooftops. And tonight we're just thinking about maybe we shout a bit with a few more voices. We see God's creativity in many ways, the abundance and the vast diversity of the world. Um, it's, I've got a um, bit nerdy to buy Scientific American. I was in, in, in the airport the other day. And, uh, however, I just struck upon a Scientific American which has got un unbelievably beautiful in images to follow up some of that, some of that uh, cosmic theme. Um, but God's um, work is uh, staggeringly uh, complex, beautiful, ordered and in harmony. Uh, my son-in-law gave me a, um, a, a book on the mathematical um, implications of um, uh, the, the universe, really. Um, and what Einstein f found halfway through his career is that if Einstein would follow the mathematical equations to where they lead, all of the physics stuff, the understanding of, of gravitational waves and all that stuff is outside my head. It all made sense because of math. So God has made us, amazingly, to understand mathematics, to understand not only the big universe and the apple that dropped on Isaac Newton's head, but the quantum stuff that none of us can see. And this is a, a, a deep thing of God. And it's no wonder the language of the Psalms is that this physical universe is charged with the grandeur of God, as Hopkins would say. The rivers in Psalm 98 clap their hands and the mountains sing for joy. Our God is the opposite of predictability, meanness and minimalism. And across the whole sweep of scripture we see the creativity of God. From Genesis 1, Genesis 1 in the creation account, the beauty of the Garden of Eden, to the river of the city of God paved with gemstones in the book of Revelation. The whole of scripture, um, the way God has revealed himself, is full of surprise and creativity. The, the Psalms poetry is unbelievable. We, we just start to dig into it. It just goes deeper and deeper. The, the music and the dance and the, the, the way in which the Psalms are written um, then there's the street theatre of the prophets, some really weird stuff going on. Um, creative theatre. Um, and then there's the parables of Jesus. Jesus wants to get these deep truths across and he uses story and metaphor and imagination. He, he lives for 30 years in a small village as a carpenter, living amongst the stuff of life that the deep truth of God's kingdom can, can be made known. And then in the early church, in Ephesians and Philippians, when the first expressions of um, Christ is Lord, they actually start as songs or poems. So Ephesians 5, 14 and Philippians 2, that great passage, Philippians 2, 6 to 11, they actually started as songs. And of course, you get to the end of the Bible and there's the incredible apocalyptic um, imagination of the deep truths of God. So we are actually then going to get to Exodus 31, 
when God's love of creativity in humans really, really took centre stage. It tells this incredibly remarkable story about how God's people, after they've come out of Egypt, and here they are, and it's time now to set up the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant <coughs> um, and, and make it not only a holy place, but a beautiful place as God directs. In the passage we heard, God chooses initially two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, whose creative gifts are taken seriously by God as a means of worship and a way to reflect the abundant creativity of God himself. We're told that Bezalel is filled with the spirit of God. And do you know that's the first time that that is said in the Old Testament? And he and Aholiab are then effectively asked to establish an apprenticeship studio for artists of many, many different kinds. It'd be a lovely thing to do this week, to read chapter 31 and then chapters 35 to 39 um, of Exodus when you go home, because there's lots more detail and it's so worth reading it all. In Exodus 36, there's more about Bezalel and Aholiab and what they're to do. They're they're to find people with skills in all kinds, they would have loved this, in all kinds of making and building and decorating, builders, metal workers, engravers, embroiderers, weavers, spinners, men and women, there are many, all had a job. And in chapter 39, there's a gorgeous detail that absolutely just delights my Ian. Uh, And I can tell you, this is what it says. They made the robe of the ephod of blue cloth, the work of a weaver, with an opening in the centre like the opening of a collar and a band around the opening so it wouldn't tear. And they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe. Have you ever seen a blue pomegranate? No, but imagine what it would look like. Well, somebody's had a go... Um, at what it might have looked like, but we think it's a bit pathetic. I'm sure it had much more pizzazz than that because pomegranates are much more glorious than that, aren't they? But I'm I'm sure. Just under me. Is that on there? Yes, yes. Sorry. Um, Aholia probably said um, to Bezalel, I I think we got that last message wrong from God. I mean, pomegranates, they're red, right? But God's imagination, wow. If you ask Ian one of his favourite verses in the Bible, it's about the blue pomegranates. So always think about that from here on. Okay, so given all that we've just said, how come creativity is given such a hard time in so many churches? How come the word imagination is the word you mustn't use in lots of places? Ian and I have a friend we've made since we came to the mountains who is an artist. She has work in the National Gallery. Wonderful, wonderful artist. She became a Christian in her midlife and as soon as she did, she was given by the church that she went to the very clear message that all that art making was in her past life now. And now that she was going to serve God, it was to be left behind. It had no place alongside her new faith. With a heavy heart but wanting to do exactly what God wanted her to do and being told this is what it was, she abandoned all her artwork all her art making, and it broke her heart. And it's taking her years, years to reclaim in herself something that made her feel that she was her and that God has made and understand that, no, that's not necessarily the only all right message to hear. 
But you know, when Ian, in his mid-50s, decided he really did have to listen to the deep pull in his heart to explore art really and to study it further and to become an artist and decided to go back and do a Masters of Art, leaving his architectural practice behind, several, several, m presumably very well-meaning friends said, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you go to Bible college and do something valuable for God? But the thing is, we've heard that story lots of times. We've heard it from all sorts of people, artists, composers of classical music, singers and poets and writers and dancers and all sorts of people who feel creative but feel they have to leave it at home when they come to church or not talk about it or even not do it, unless it's utilitarian, unless it's a Bible illustration, unless it's... Um, you know, a Christian pop song that we can sing in church unless it's knitting a jumper for the missions, unless it's those kinds of things, everything else is, can be sometimes in some places seen to be either a real worry or a waste of time. But for those who love God and want to give themselves entirely to him with all that they are and all they've been created to be, how can that part of them be so worrying to the church? Shouldn't part of loving one another being understanding what makes us all tick and celebrating all the gifts that are among us? So here are a few specific thoughts. Making, well, and we have really seen this demonstrated tonight, Steve, in a beautiful way. Making things help us, helps us to see what God has made. We have just seen tonight what God has made in our beautiful Blue Mountains in a way that is such a gift to all of us. I was going to say, anyway, I have a, a Christian friend called Sarah who's a wonderful photographer and quite often if I'm in what feels to me like a pretty ordinary spot, I think, what would Sarah see here? Because she helps me to see. Now we also want to see through you. you, through you. We'll, get back, we'll get to that one in a sec. Um, yeah, no, that's right. That is, sorry, Murray's doing this better than I am. That's right. Wendy Chai is a great, beautiful Blue Mountains artist. Some of you know Wendy. And she had an exhibition of weeds, paintings of weeds. It's, I don't think they're beautiful until I see this and I go, oh, yeah, they are beautiful. The second thing is that creating things can be part of healing us. And I have, where are you, Tony and Mike? Up the back. Tony and Mike have given me permission to say this. Tony and Mike are wonderful, wonderful creators, artistic creators. After Tony's stroke, it's been learning to paint again and paint differently that has helped with her recovery and in doing so, blessed us all with the beauty of what she creates. So... that Tony did before her stroke, and it's wonderful, it's beautiful. After her stroke, she feared she'd never be able to create in the same way again. And she was telling me the other day that without the voice in her head that says, that is the sort of automatic self-critic, this is what she's creating. And look at this, it's magnificent, isn't it? Just glorious. And what a gift that is. And Mike, one of the things I love about you, Mike Jessup, is when you talk about kinetic therapy... So Mike's brought lots of beautiful things. This is a model of the house he grew up in that's here. There are lots of beautiful things, but my favourite, uh, including 
a very tricky model aeroplane that took him a long time, is that right? Took a really long time, so look at this and really appreciate it. But my favourite of Mike's kinetic therapy is the thing I use every morning, which is my phone stand that he made during COVID, beautiful, and not only made something that is, works really well to keep my mobile phone on it and enable it to be charged through the bottom, but it's beautiful, decorated beautifully. What a gift. When I, my head is full of stress, playing in fabric colours is one of the things that stills me. I, go, I say to Ian, I need to go and play in the colours. You want to say something next? Um, another application of what we're drawing out of the whole Bezalel story in Exodus is evangelistic and um, apologetic. Australians are great artful dodgers, I use that term, of the truths about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, is admirable, but he's from a distance. The front doors of the evangelistic messages from Christians are often firmly locked out. You come to the front door of a person, want to tell them about Jesus, and they say, glaze over, don't want to know. But God's given us some creative side doors. If we share more of our life, whether it's making tapestries or paintings, art, music, whatever it is, God, God works through a side door to get to the heart of people through his spirit. Um, and we, we need to see creativity in, in this light. There's an example of it in the book of Acts in Acts 17. Paul comes to Athens and super high-charged philosophical gurus, the, center point, the, 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 the New York, the centre point of the ancient world. And, and Paul doesn't start with um, a 1, 2, 3, theology 101. He does most radical things, like Jesus kept doing radical things. Paul listens, watches a long time. And then he quotes their poets. He po quotes their, their, their poets from Crete, the, the, the Greek poets. He said, well, your, your own poets have said we're God's offspring and in him we live and move and have our being. He found through an art form common ground with these people and then proceeded to tell them about the, the real Jesus. Um, we've got a friend in Oberon, um, Mark, who for many years was very cynical and had no time for the church or Christianity. He had a very slow coming to faith, but for decades he had on his, he always had it on his bedroom wall, whether it was an impoverished little cabin in Perth or the south coast of New South Wales, posters of the artist, English artist uh, Stanley Spencer. You may not, may, may not like the, the style. The point is that he was captivated by this character of Jesus in these paintings. And one, one of those that he loved most was foxes have their holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And this kept playing on uh, Mark's mind and imagination. Who, who is this Jesus? And um, he's come to, to follow the Lord and, and to find a way to, um, to love the Lord. What, what we need to do in the church much more is to listen to our culture, to listen to the voices of non-Christians, the way that Paul listened to them in Acts, uh, whether it's um, uh, whoever the voices that we, we're set amongst, whether it's music or writing or, or, or whatever it is, but, but to really listen carefully to what matters to our non-Christian friends. 
and then we can engage with them. And through the arts is a great meeting place because the arts is where we start to say this life is more than what they're just advertising on television and the politicians are promising. There's something deeper. It's hard to find and in that place we have to be there sharing Jesus. Another thing we can do, and particularly those of us who don't think of ourselves as artists, I mean, honestly, I couldn't draw a recognisable cat. But, you know, but so I don't think of myself as an artist, but I do know that I love to create. And I'm sure that lots of us here feel like that. But you know what we can do? We can be enthusiastic enjoyers and encouragers of our friends who are artists in many ways. We can listen to their music. We can read their poems and their books and their beautiful writing. And we can be witness to what they're doing. You know, it can be a really lonely life trying to be a creative in lots of ways. And being an encouragement in that way really, really matters. I think we should love our creatives well. Often they're doing a brave thing, being a creative person and, and really um, spending your life doing that. Being witness to their life and work matters. It's what they need. And the last thing that we wanted to say is beautiful art can give us glimpses of beyond this world of the divine. I don't know if it's... It's certainly true of me that a beautiful artwork can move me to tears. Um, maybe that's not as hard as it might be for some people because, you know, <laughs> I do cry a bit. But... but a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I suppose it was now, the Sydney Symphony Orchestra played Mahler's first symphony, the Titan Symphony, and that's been my favourite piece of music since I was 14 and heard it on a scratchy record in the year eight, you know, music class. And we were all wearing masks still, you know, at that point, and I had my glasses on my mask, and they started to play, and I started to cry, and I had to take my mask off because I couldn't see anything at all because... And they really did. They played the whole way through the the um, symphony. I cried all the way through it. And it was something that gave me... It felt like oxygen. It felt like such a gift and a glimpse of something beyond. I actually felt some of that seeing your beautiful photography. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it can give us hints of something that we long for. Do you, do you have that experience ever? Do you think, oh, there's something more in that, about that? C.S. Lewis talked about that too. He wrote in his wonderful essay, The Weight of Glory, he said, it's what we're longing, we think we're, that feeling of longing is not actually longing for the thing itself. He says, it's like the scent of a flower we haven't found, the echo of a tune we haven't quite heard, news from a country we've not yet visited. He said, at present, we are on the outside of the real world. You know, this is where he, it's like these are the shadow lands. The real world is yet to come. He said, we are on the outside, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they don't make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendours we see, but... All the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumour that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we will get in. I, for one, am very glad that C.S. Lewis devoted himself to writing and nobody stopped him.
Let's be that kind of of place where we don't get in the way of those people who are gifted in those ways and then give God all of the thanks for all that he's done in, in nature, in the world, but in the lives and creativity of the people who people it. Amen.